the New Testament letter to the Galatians, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. Galatians 5. A few weeks ago, Mackenzie, my 8th grader, and by the way, I did get her permission to use her as an illustration, so no emails, please. Mackenzie, my 8th grader, was on the way home with myself after one of her last basketball games, and I just could sense she was discouraged, so being the good dad that I am, I said, hey, Mackenzie, how you doing? That was a great game. What are your thoughts? Her answer was this, Dad, I don't think I've gotten any better at basketball. In fact, I think I've gotten worse. Oh, no, Mackenzie, you have not gotten worse. And you've gotten better in this, you've gotten better in this, you've gotten better in this. Still have a long way to go, but you are not worse. You've gotten better. And I was able to encourage her with the reality that she was maturing in her skills of basketball. Have you ever asked the same Mackenzie to yourself that Mackenzie asked me when it comes to your spiritual growth? Am I getting any better? Am I really growing? In fact, I think I'm getting worse. Lord, are you transforming me into the image of Jesus Christ? Am I spiritually mature? What does it even mean to be spiritually mature? Have you ever asked yourself these questions? I think we can answer the question, what does spiritual maturity look like this morning from Galatians 5 and 6? Now, Galatians 5 is a a well-known chapter, particularly the end of the chapter. We know the end of the chapter, verses 22 through 24, as the fruit of the Spirit. But the context here of this this text is Paul has moved from doctrine, instruction, to application in chapter 5. He's been teaching about our freedom from the law in Christ Jesus. We are free from keeping the law. Praise God. Therefore, he says in verse 1, stand firm. Keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. That the Galatian churches were being tempted to once again follow the Judaistic law of circumcision as a basis for their salvation. Paul says, no, you are free from the law. Do you love freedom? You rejoice in freedom, but like me, for you, freedom sometimes leads to a problem, doesn't it? After all, freedom is all about whom? Me. Paul warns them down in verse 6, verse 13, chapter 5. For you were called to freedom, brethren, only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh to serve yourself. But through love, serve one another. You are free to serve one another. What does it look like to serve myself and not serve one another? Well, Paul gives us a list of things that we're all very familiar with. Nobody has to teach us these things. Starting in verse 19, now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are, and so on and so forth. We don't need anyone to teach us these things. We are very much capable in and of our own flesh to do these things. But take a look at the second part of verse 20, those particular deeds of the flesh that he identifies, enmities, strife, Jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying. Let me ask you this question. Where are those sins 
most manifested in your life? I would answer that question this way. In my relationships with other people. Look at verses 22 through 24. This is all going somewhere. What should our relationships look like? What should the people who have been regenerated by God and possessed by his spirit, what should they be relating to one another with? What characteristics? But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Let me ask you another question. Where are those fruits of the Spirit most often manifested or not manifested in your life? I would answer that question this way, in my relationships with people. What does spiritual maturity look like? You can answer that question often by looking at your relationships with other people. What do my relationships look like with other people? Your spiritual maturity will be manifested in that way. But wait a minute, Pastor Dan. I'm not the problem. People are the problem. You ever said that? In fact, if people would just leave me alone, I'd be loving. (laughs) I'd be content to love myself. Well, people have tried that. These, These crazy guys hundreds of years ago called the Desert Fathers, they tried this. They went out into the desert They built poles and shelters on top of poles, and they said, if I could just go be with the Lord, I'll be spiritual. Didn't work. In fact, I would say this. It's really hard to be loving, to be patient, to be gentle, unless you intentionally go be with people. What does spiritual maturity look like? What does spiritual maturity look like within this church community. Paul transitions from the fruit of the Spirit to our text this morning, starting in verse 26, with this in verse 25. If we live by the Spirit, since we have been made alive by the Spirit, we should also walk by the Spirit, or we should keep in step, we should keep in cadence with the Spirit. Our lives should demonstrate spiritual fruit. Our lives toward one another should demonstrate the same spiritual characteristics that Jesus Christ himself demonstrated when he was on this earth. Easier said than done, right? So if you've been asking yourself that question, what does spiritual maturity look like? Am I growing in Christ? Paul gives us a a test, a spiritual litmus test in a sense, starting in the next section, verse 26 of chapter 5 down through Verse 5 of chapter 6. Read with me from chapter 5, verse 26. I'm reading from the New American Standard version of the Bible. Let us not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. Brethren, even if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But each one must examine his own work. And then he will have reason for boasting in regard to himself alone and not in regard to another. For each one will bear his own load. Father, we rejoice at the opportunity to come to your word. I pray, Lord, that you would speak to us, 
through your word, Spirit, open our eyes to see wondrous things. And I pray, Lord, that you would show us where we are lacking in spiritual maturity through the exhortations that your servant, the Apostle Paul, has for us through the power of your Spirit. I pray, Lord, that we would be able to answer that spiritual maturity is being manifested in us through our relationships with other people. In Jesus Christ's name we pray, amen. I'd like to give us four different answers to the question, what does spiritual maturity look like? The first one is found in verse 26 of chapter 5. Spiritual maturity manifests itself through a healthy gospel identity. Spiritual maturity manifests itself through a healthy gospel identity. Really, Pastor Dan, that sounds a little woke, a little cultural cliche. A spiritual healthy identity? Where are you getting that in verse 26? Well, let's unpack verse 26. Paul says, let us not become boastful or conceited. I think I would prefer that that word conceited there. I think it helps us to understand what he's getting at here. Have you ever boasted in something? Have you ever been conceited? Have you ever been arrogant? That's a rhetorical question. We all have. Here's what the word conceited means. Conceited means to have an exaggerated sense of self-importance. Here's me. Here's the world. Here's the world revolving around me. You ever been there? Paul says, don't be that person. Don't be conceited. Don't have an over-exaggerated sense of self-importance. It's vain. It's empty glory. It will not stand. It is good for nothing. And here's how you avoid that good-for-nothing self-exaggeration of your own goodness. Notice what Paul says, verse 26. Don't challenge one another. This is the pride that we all know. This is the obvious pride. This is the pride that says, I'm bigger than you, I'm better than you, I'm smarter than you, I'm stronger than you, and if you just do what I think is best, we'll be fine. But if not... I will challenge you. Oh, and I'll win. Even if I lose, I'll win. Nobody wins. That's obvious pride. You can identify with that, right? Everybody can see one of those people. But there's a more subtle type of pride that the Apostle Paul identifies at the second half of verse 26. Let us not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. If challenging one another is thinking way too much of yourself, I would contend envying one another is thinking far too little of yourself. This is the subtle, you know, false piety type of pride. Oh, if only I was like everyone else. Oh, if I could only have the talents he has or the skills that she has. Oh, if I could only be such a wonderful mother like her then it's actually not I'd be okay, it's then people would notice me. And then I would be a wonderful person. This is pride. It's subtle, but it's pride. Have you ever been there? Lord, something's lacking in me, and you should give it to me, because without it, I will not be complete. Over-exaggerated view of yourself and under-exaggerated view of yourself. Well, where should we land? This is like Goldilocks theology, right? Too hot, too cold, what's just right? Well, 
What do people let you know when they boast about something? They let you know what their identity is. Look at my wonderful children. Look at my wonderful spouse. Look at my wonderful job, my wonderful career. That's where I find my identity. But that is vain. That can be taken away from you. Oh, if there was only one thing that we could all boast in and find a level ground in. Verse 14 of chapter 6, But may it never be that I would boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Here's what I think Paul is getting at. If you are going to serve one another, it cannot be all about you. It cannot be about how wonderful you are, and boy, let me show you in my service how wonderful I am, or I can't do anything to serve you. It needs to be God has saved me, he has given me his spirit, my identity is in Jesus Christ, my life is hid with Christ on high, and I am free to forget about myself and to serve you. Is that where you are this morning? Or even when you serve, is it all about you? How thankful you should be for my service. Or how I wish I was something else so that I could really serve. That's where it has to start, beloved. It has to start right here before we're ever going to be mature. Now, you, you might be saying, well, I don't know if I can identify with this. I don't know if you've been listening. But Pastor Tim Keller gives us some wise questions to show us from both sides of this spectrum, too exaggerated or too under-exaggerated, questions for reflection to help you see where you are. So let me ask us these questions. Do you have a tendency to blow up or to clam up? The spouses are looking at each other. Do you have a tendency to pick arguments with people? Or do you try and avoid confrontation at all costs? Do you tend to critically look down on individuals or groups of people, or are you often embarrassed and intimidated by certain classes of people? When you're criticized, do you get angry and judgmental and attack back? Or do you get discouraged and defensive and become a people pleaser and make excuses or give right in with false confession. Oh man, he's meddling. Do you often think, I would never do what they did? Or, I could never do what they did? Every person wants to be the center of attention. Every person wants to be right. But if that is our attitude, nobody wins. But if we forget about ourselves and have a healthy identity in Jesus Christ, he wins, and we will be the better for it. Easier said than done, right? But the reality is if we don't start here, we won't be able to follow the next three manifestations of spiritual maturity. We go on to number two. How else is spiritual maturity manifested? Well, it's manifested through the restoration of your brothers and sisters. Paul says, brethren, even if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are walking in the spirit, spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. 
This verse paints a picture of one who has been ensnared in a trap that has been set for them. While I was studying, I came across a a Greek letter of a hunter who used this exact word to describe the hunt of a boar. And he used this word, that boar became entrapped. Now, you think about that, does that kind of sound like the sin's not really the person's fault? But that can't be true, right? Sin is every person's fault, right? We make choices, but the word trespass here is just a generic term, meaning any type of failure, any type of wrongdoing. It's not necessarily a repeated pattern. It's, it's definitely a sin. It's definitely your sin. But have you ever found yourself saying, after doing something really stupid, why did I do that? <laughs> or, how did I get here? Or, now that I know I'm here, how do I get out of here? How do I get out of this trap? It's easy to find ourselves entrapped. It doesn't always come about through premeditation. It can happen suddenly. And when we see our brothers and sisters entrapped in sin, how are we going to respond to them? When I was in eighth grade, I was playing soccer. Not very well, but I was playing. I was on the team. And at the end of every practice, our coach made the younger students play or or run with the older students. So I was running with a 12th grader named Jeff Carvinen. Jeff was a good soccer player. Jeff was a good runner. Jeff could run faster than my chubby eighth grade legs could run. But I was running with Jeff and we were doing okay. And when we were getting to the last stretch of the last lap, Jeff says, Dan, when we round this last curve and when we hit the open stretch, we're going to sprint. Okay, Jeff. Okay, we're going to go. We're going to do this. But something happened. This is a true story. When I rounded that last corner, one of those beautiful Minnesota Christmas tree blue spruces, one of the roots just came out of the ground, wrapped itself around my leg, and I went splat onto the ground. True story. It happened. Now, just picture this story. Jeff Carvinen has been running with me. We've been keeping in step together. And I went down. How's Jeff going to respond? I'm not going to tell you, by the way, how he did. That's not the point. The point is he had a choice. He could have at that point looked at me and said, Dan, get up, you idiot. What are you doing? Why did you get yourself there? I'm not there. You're there. You get up. Get yourself up. I'm not helping you up. We're running. Come on. Come on, Dan. Then he kicks me while he goes. Or, Dan, what happened? I I see you're trapped, Dan. I'm going to forget about my race at this point. Can I help you, Dan? Can I come down to where you are, Dan, and, and lift you up? How do you respond when you see your brother and sister entrapped in their sin? Way too important to deal with that. Or, I'm not strong enough to pick them up. That's for the spiritual people. The elite Christians. Or is it for you, because you are a believer in Jesus Christ, empowered by his spirit, to be a brother or sister back to them? How are you going to respond? Jeff did help. He did help. Not quite that gently, but he did help. So what do we do when we see our brother or sister trapped? The text says, 
restore them, you who are spiritual. Restore them with gentleness. That word restore is interesting. It, it is used for fishermen when they are mending their nets after a nice long night of fishing. Those heavy fish sometimes get into the net and the net is in the water and, this, and it can grow brittle over time and a fish can poke a hole through the net. So if the fishermen are going to keep the fish in the net, they have to mend the net and make it useful again. It's also used for doctors who would set broken bones or set a, a joint back in socket. In other words, it's painful, but we're doing this so that you can be useful again. When you see your brothers and sisters trapped and not useful, is it your desire to see them become useful again? Or do you actually use this as an opportunity to exalt yourself? Look how good I am compared to them. This is much easier said than done. It's not easy to do. It's not always easy. You ever have one of those shoelaces that get a thousand knots and you have no idea how they got there? It's a whole lot easier to cut the shoelace, buy a new shoelace, and put a new shoelace in. It's a whole lot easier. But when our wounded become wounded, we don't have a choice to shoot them and leave them for dead and say, I'll just get new teammates. We are called to restore such a one. Yes, it will be hard. Yes, you will get dirty. Yes, they will slow you down, but that's why we're called to do this in gentleness. Restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. Setting a joint or a bone that's out of socket is very painful. How do you be gentle when you do that? Well, gentleness is more than just kind of the, oh, you poor little sweet baby type thing, and I'm going to handle you like you're fragile. That's not just what gentleness means. Let me, let me illustrate to you what gentleness does not look like. I'll confess to you my failures as a father, okay? This past fall, while Becky was coaching volleyball, I was at home cooking supper. Now, I know you have a scene in your mind right now what that looks like. But let me tell you, the struggle was real. I'm trying to cook supper. And my sweet, adorable little two-year-old Piper walks into the kitchen, sees her bottle up on the counter, and says, bottle, Daddy, bottle. Okay, in that moment, how am I going to respond? Well, let me tell you how I responded. I gave her her bottle. You want to know how I gave her a bottle? <laughs> While I'm cooking, focused on what I'm doing, I slapped the bottle onto the ground. I gave her her bottle. She waddled over, picked it up, walked away. Was that gentle? Absolutely not. Here is what gentleness means. Gentleness means when there is someone who needs help, you forget about yourself and you make them and their need the priority. Did I make Piper the priority? No, she was an inconvenience. She was a nuisance. She got in the way of my plans, my service even to my family. I was not gentle. We are called to be gentle. Do you think of it that way? I see you need help. 
you are now the most important problem that I have. So hard to do. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. If I'm going to actually do this, if I'm going to restore my brother and sister, that means I actually have to, go, have to go talk to them about their sin. Are you kidding me? What if they say something about me? Well, do you believe that confrontation can be a good thing? Confrontation is not inherently a bad thing. It's an opportunity to assess the situation. Ask a question. Be secure enough in your identity in Christ to ask the question, and Lord willing, secure enough to confess if you fail the test when asked. The loving thing to do to your brother and sister, yes, it's hard, yes, it's painful, is to confront them about their sin. But Pastor Dan, what if they call me judgmental? Well, don't be judgmental. (laughs) Every one of the passages in the New Testament that talk about confronting your brother or sister is for the purpose of what? Reconciliation, restoration. And what does the scriptures call us to do before we ever confront sin in our brother or sister's life? Turn back to Matthew 7. Let's remind ourselves of what a great opportunity confrontation is for the confronter. You don't want to be perceived as judgmental? Then don't be judgmental. Do this. Matthew 7, verse 3. This is after, by the way, verse 1, which every unbeliever can quote to you when you confront them of their sin. Do not judge so that you will not be judged. But look at verse 3. Why do you look at the speck that is your brother's eye but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, and behold, the log is in your own eye, you hypocrite! First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. This is what we should expect from one another. Loving, kind, personally reflective confrontation. Brother, sister, I see that you are trapped. It's not a personality problem. You are angry. You are bitter. It's not them. It's you. And I'm calling you to align your life with the fruit of the Spirit. I'm not saying you need to be like me. It's not about me. It's not me saying, I wish I could be like you. It's both of us looking like Jesus Christ. And I've examined my heart. And I'm here to confront you on your sin. Can you do that? Spiritually mature people do that. And I'm preaching to myself. Easier said than done. You can smell judgmentalism a mile away. Praise the Lord for faithful, mature saints who confront us of our sin and say, I love you and I'm willing to be a part of the solution in your life. Have you had anybody in your life like that? Praise the Lord for them. Now Paul says, while doing this, consider also yourself, look to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. This this does obviously mean make sure you don't become guilty of the same sin, but I think it could mean a little bit more than this. Imagine if the scenario were flipped and you were the one entrapped. How would you want them to respond to you? 
Treat them the same way. Are you willing to be a part of the solution? Number three, spiritual maturity manifests itself through burden bearing. It manifests itself through a healthy gospel identity, through a willingness to restore our brothers and sisters, and through burden bearing. Now, verse two identifies burdens, bear one another's burdens. Not all burdens are a result of sin. I wonder how many burdens are represented in our auditorium this morning, or if you're listening via the live stream or the radio, we all have burdens. The the burden here that Paul is describing is something that is crushing you. It is something that you cannot bear on your own. It is something that essentially says, if, if nobody comes and helps me, I will never move because I cannot bear this on my own. And the idea is to come up to your brother or sister who is being crushed, throw your own shoulder underneath the burden, wrap your arm around them, and drive together and stand up with them and carry it. Is that you? Do you see the needs of your fellow church members and bear their burdens? Are you even looking Or are you ignoring what you see? Or are you saying, I'm way too important for that? Or are you saying, there's no way I can help with that? Do you share their burdens? Let me flip the script. Do you share your own burdens with your brothers and sisters? And if not, why not? I don't want to trouble them. I don't want to impose upon them. I don't want to become their problem. Or is it actually that you just want to get out of it yourself so that you can have the glory? This is hard. Are you too proud to see a need? Are you too proud to help a need? Are you too proud to confess your own needs? Have you ever gotten stuck? Look at verse (laughs) 4. You've gotten, or verse three, if you've gotten stuck, if anyone thinks he's something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. We've all been there. We shouldn't be the one who ignores needs. We should be the one who is like Jesus and loves people in their needs. We should fulfill the law of Christ. Jesus cares about the burdened. First Peter five says, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Matthew 11, Jesus says, Come to me, all who labor and are burdened. They are heavy laden. They are crushed. And I will give you rest. When you see burdens, do you have the heart of Jesus? Do you fulfill the law of Christ? Back in chapter 5, verse 13, we are called to serve one another in love. For the whole law, verse 14, is fulfilled in one word. You shall surely love your neighbor as yourself. The law of Christ. Remind yourself of what you know about Christ. Who was freer than Christ? What's the answer? Nobody. But what did Christ do 
with his freedom, with his position. Philippians 2, 5, and 6 says we should have this mind. We should not grasp the thing that we think we're entitled to, but we should lay it aside and become a servant. Who is freer than Christ? Who was more rich than Christ? But he gave everything, though he was rich, so that you and I who were poor could become rich. Who is richer than Christ? Who has served more and given more than Jesus Christ? The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. How can we say we love Christ and are mature if we are not willing to bear burdens, just like Christ? Lastly, spiritual maturity manifests itself through fulfilled responsibility. Now, in verses 4 and 5, the Apostle Paul, in a sense, seems to contradict himself at first glance. But I don't think he does. Spiritual maturity manifests itself through fulfilled responsibility. Verse 4 shows us that there is a sense of acceptable boasting as one who looks on their life and sees genuine growth in their life. Genuine boasting upon looking at your life and saying, I have done what the Lord has asked me to do. I am fulfilling my own responsibility. None of the glory goes to me. All the glory goes to Christ. But I am fulfilled in the work that God has called me to do. I am carrying my own load, as verse 5 says. Each one will bear his own load. That word load in verse 5 is not the same type of burden as we see in verse 2. Verse 2 is a crushing burden. Load is a description of what a, military, a Roman military man would have carried on his back. It would have been his given backpack, his given assignment to carry. It was his alone to carry. He was responsible to carry it. It was not somebody else's responsibility. Uh, when I was just done with college, I had the opportunity to go backpacking for a week in the Rocky Mountains. And when we were getting ready to go, our, our guide, Edwin, looked at me and said, Dan can carry a lot of stuff. And he threw this pack on my back, and he continued to fill up this pack with way too much stuff, by the way. And he said, Dan, this is your load to carry. And I said, okay, I can do this. I can do this. I can't do this. I can do this. I can't do this. I can do this. But I did, thankfully. But you know what happened while I was carrying that load? A strange thing happened. While we're walking up the mountain, I started looking around at everybody else's backpack. And I said, look at that guy's backpack. I can carry a whole lot more than him. Way too exaggerated view of myself. And then I saw Edwin's pack. Edwin was part mountain goat, I think. You remember that Elmer Fudd Bugs Bunny cartoon where Elmer Fudd is on his way to gold mine and he's got this like hot air balloon chute filled on his back? That was Edwin's pack. You know what I said to myself when I saw Edwin's pack? I wish I had Edwin's pack. Do you understand what's going on here? What are you responsible for? What God has given you. Are you fulfilling your own responsibility? So many of us are so disgruntled at God. God, why did you do this to me? Why did you bring this into my life? Why did you make my nose shaped that way? Until you get your vertical relationship with God settled, you will never be able to fulfill your responsibility and you will never be able to bear one another's burdens. In fact, it'll be the opposite. 
you will be an unnecessary hindrance to other people. But spiritually mature people fulfill their responsibility. They carry their own load. They're content in how God has made them. They don't compare themselves with those who have done less and have some sort of conceited pride. They don't compare themselves with someone who has done more and said, I wish I could be more important and better so I could get noticed. God didn't call you to do what they do. Do what God has called you to do and do it well for his glory and honor so that you can be free to serve one another. That's what spiritually mature people do. And again, I'm very much preaching to myself. It's not always easy to identify if we're growing into spiritual maturity. Paul gives us these practical tests here to show us what spiritual maturity is look like. Are, are you passing the test? Father, thank you for this opportunity to be tested. Father, I pray for myself, for my brothers and sisters, that we would be secure in our identity in Christ so that we can be free to boast in Christ and serve one another and forget about ourselves. Lord, I pray that when we see our brother or sister entrapped, that we would be free to forget about ourselves, be secure in our identity in Christ, and lovingly, gently, patiently make them useful again. Father, I pray that when we see the overwhelming burdens in our brothers and sisters' lives, that we would do anything we can possibly do to bear the load, even if it is hard, even if it inconveniences us, even if it makes us late, even if it causes us, costs us financially. May we bear one another's burdens and give because of your example to us through Christ, who gave all. Father, I pray that we would be content with how you have made us. That we would not chafe against your sovereign providence in our lives. But that we would submit and that we would do all that you have given to us, not for the praise of men or for lip service, but for your glory, so that we can be free to serve one another with humility and a healthy identity in Jesus Christ. And Lord, I pray that you would free us from the temptation to think people are the problem with my spiritual maturity. They reveal, Lord, in our lives where we are. And I pray, Lord, that we would be honest with what you have revealed in our lives this morning about our maturity in Christ as revealed through our relationships with other people. And Lord, give us humility to seek help if we need help, if we need encouragement, if we are trapped. For the glory of Christ, we ask these things, not so that people will look like me or so that I will look like other people, but so that we will all glorify Christ by looking like him. We pray. Amen.